News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. Going to turn to the fall of Troy, uh, Robert Troy, the junior minister, uh, bowing to pressure uh, that had been building over a number of days and announcing his resignation as a junior minister. We are joined now by Ivana Bacic, Labour Party leader. Uh, Ivana, your reaction to Robert Troy's resignation? Well, I think there was a certain inevitability to uh, former Minister Troy's resignation last night. I think what we'd seen over the past two weeks was a drip feed of allegations, a whole catalogue of omissions. And while, you know, a mistake and failure to uh, declare a, a cycle return, a standard public office return, on one occasion might be might be very much excusable. I think what we had seen, as I say, is a catalogue of omissions, which really illustrated, certainly to me and I think to many of your listeners, a carelessness, a really serious carelessness and a careless disregard in particular of the very mechanisms that we've introduced to guarantee high standards of ethical compliance in public life. And, you know, I think because of that catalogue of omissions and because there were some very serious individual omissions in there, including an omission outright to declare a property that he bought and sold in one year in Longford in 2019, on which, of course, he doubled his money. You know, these were omissions that, um, that really were it became, I think, inexcusable. And certainly I spoke yesterday in media to say that unless he could clarify the omissions, unless he could he could publish details around tax compliance and so on, that I felt that by the end of this week, his own government colleagues would be calling on him to go. And as it happened, I think Minister Eamon Ryan yesterday really fell very far short of declaring confidence in him. And I think at that point, it, it became really inevitable. So. Is this the end of the matter as far as you're concerned? No, because there's uh, already a cycle investigation underway. The Standard and Public Office Commission, I understand, are investigating the matter. I imagine it will also come before the, the relevant Dáil Committee, and indeed Minister Fine himself suggested that would be the case. But I think it simply wasn't any longer tenable for for uh, Deputy Troy to stay on in office as a minister while those investigations were underway. And really the key issue here was that it was dis- a dis- it had become a distraction from what should be the primary focus of government now as we're facing this absolutely chronic cost of living crisis, the housing and homelessness crisis. You know, these are the issues, and, and an early budget, of course, and these are the issues that should have been concentrating the minds of government okay. instead, of, instead of a scandal like this. And, and I should say this, perhaps scandal is over, overstating it, but... You know, we have in Labour a strong track record of leading on ensuring the development and enhancement of ethical standards in public life. And my colleague, Deputy Brendan Howland, had published a bill in 2015 that would have addressed some of the issues that CIPA themselves are looking for reform on, a standards in public office bill, uh, which the government have failed to progress over the years since then. So we've seen a number of years where there's been really very little uh, very little uh, emphasis or, or priority put by government. Uh, by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in government uh, on ensuring high standards of ethics. And, you know, at a time of both shame, so many people, including in my own constituency, uh, so many apartment owners are facing enormous bills for the cost of repair and construction defects precisely because of a failure by construction industry uh, people to uh, comply with standards. You know, that's, it, it's just very difficult, I think, for people to hear about a uh, careless disregard for, for, for ethical codes and ethical rules. Okay, we will leave it there. Labour Party leader Ivana Bacic, thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast this morning. Now, for more on this, we're joined now by Sinn Féin TD and member of the Procedure, Privilege and Oversight Committee, Porik McLaughlin. Porik, your reaction to the resignation of Robert Troy? 
Well, I think there's serious questions for the Taoiseach and the Tanishja in particular, um, who have stood by their man uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks. As the drip feed of revelations uh, continued, they didn't insist that he publish uh, evidence of tax compliance, evidence that he registered all his properties with the Residential Tenancies Board, evidence that he had planning permission and they had fire safety certificates for all his properties. That could have cleared up the matter and they never insisted upon it. And now the questions will continue. And do you think if, if those things had been published in a timely fashion earlier on in this debacle that we might have seen a different outcome? Or do you think that Robert Troy was always going to have to resign because perhaps, of, of, of as he says, a, a failure of due diligence on his part rather than anything else? Well, it moved beyond just registering your interests very quickly. Um, it went into the home realm of, you know, the, the issue of receiving rent payments in cash, the issue of um, not registering with the Residential Tenancies Board, which is a really serious matter. That's the law. Uh, and you are then, you are allowed to do transactions in, in cash and Sinn Féin is not always averse to transactions in cash themselves. I think in your own constituency, they paid cash for your Donegal constituency office. Well, uh, 180,000 euros. Uh, well, I mean, that's a fundraising issue. We're, we're talking here over a long, sustained period of time. Every GEA club in the country uh, raises money by selling tickets over a long period of time. We're talking here... But the point is, is cash doesn't necessarily infer, I think you would have to agree in this case, uh, that there's any wrongdoing on anyone's part. Oh, I think the issue here is that the Minister had repeatedly been asked, what was the total amount received in cash and what was the tax paid on it? That question has been asked repeatedly by me and by Sinn Féin over the last three days. Again and again, we've asked that question, and it's very easily resolved that the Minister wants to publish the uh, evidence that he's complied with tax based on the total amount received in cash. That was a very easy issue to resolve. It wasn't resolved. Evidence that all properties have been registered with the Residential Tenancies Board. Okay, no, and, and, and you made that point. Did you say at the beginning that you believe that Thoris and the Taoiseach have questions to answer over this now? Well, their, their judgment has been appalling. And I think the big picture is this. The reason why there's so much anger out there is that we have a profound housing crisis. People can't afford to pay rent. People can't afford to put a roof over their head because of the policies of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael over a sustained period because they refuse to build public housing, because they've handed over housing to the private sector. That's the context of this. And there are serious questions for the Taoiseach and Tanisha about how they handle this affair. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. That is Sinn Féin TD and member of the Procedure, Privilege and Oversight Committee, Pauline McLaughlin. OK, now, um, Robert Troy is far from the only landlord in Leinster House. Almost 80 TDs and senators are landlords, are landowners. Some politicians hold substantial property portfolios. Is there a potential conflict of interest here? Uh, we go now to Rory Hearn, lecturer in social policy at Maynooth University and author of the forthcoming book, Gaffs. Uh, Rory, do you have a, a difficulty with uh, TDs and senators having um, property portfolios? I think it is a real issue, um, Shane. And I think you know you highlighted at the outside outset of the program this morning about that question of housing been treated as investment rather than as home. And I think that you know it is important to point out that, as you say, Robert Troy is not the only one who has um, extensive properties. And even in terms of if we look at former ministers for housing, Alan Kelly. Simon Coveney were landlords while ministers, you know, there's, as you said yourself, there's at least 80 um, of the TDs who have officially declared that they have properties. TDs and senators. TDs and TDs senators. TDs and senators, yeah. should I say, yeah, TDs and senators. And it's interesting in this because the, the SIPO standards in public office specifically cite property 
and they recite material interest um, when uh, members of material interest as being a ne- necessary to declare that. And why they highlight that, that, of course, is because it is a potential conflict of interest. When you are making policy decisions and you are deciding on what housing policies to introduce while also benefiting from those very policies. And if we look at, for example, what government has done, successive governments over the last 10 years in particular, I have made the point over and over that they have made policies largely in favour of what we call, you know, turning housing into an investment and um, in favour of landlords, in favour of investors, like, in favour of Like what developers. though? And, like and what, Rory, with, for example? Well, for example, not capping rents. You know, but they, but they, were, they were have allowed, brought they have brought in rent caps and rent controls. No, but, but up until the period of 2016, rents were increasing year after year. Opposition parties, myself and others, were saying we needed to cap rents. When they introduced the cap in 2016, it was only a four percent. It was a four percent cap, which meant rents could keep increasing four percent year on year. It is only in the last year or so they've introduced a two percent cap, and there has been calls for a number of years, for example, rent freezes. Why have they not frozen rents? Why have they not? Have have they not done it though, Rory? Is it not like, have they not done it because there are, these aren't straightforward issues and there are downsides to doing these things. I mean, I struggle to think that TDs are are saying, I'm not going to do it now because it might cost me 20 quid a week in in rent. Are they not doing it because they think, actually, or because government policy is, you you may disagree with it, but government policy is, this is actually going to create more problems than it solves. I think you're right. It's not that is not the sole factor, them thinking we're making money out of this. But what I would make the case is that they are benefiting for it. And so it does influence your thinking. Of course, it does. And it influences. So it is a factor and it shouldn't be a factor. The fact that and we know, for example, Robert Troy was making representations in the doll in relation to the examiner revealed yesterday around COVID and uh, evictions of landlords. We know also, for example, in terms of landlords benefiting from the, the RAS scheme, the HAP scheme, that change in policy from building social housing to relying on the private rental sector. It is, of course, not the only factor, but it is yeah. a factor. That's why. Okay, it is how, how do we get around it, Rory? Because uh, like, we can't stop people. It's a, like it is a it's a free country. If people want to buy property, that is their right. Um, I and mean, we do have a register of interest. I mean, part of the problem was Robert Troy didn't uh, fill that in correctly. But like, what else can we do? Well, I think the starting point is there has to be accountability for people who do have property interests, and that has to be declared, yeah. and there has to be real consequences if you don't. Well, do we that. have had real consequences. He's lost his job, so. Well, yeah. Well, we need to look. I think there needs to be a wider questioning now of this. Is it appropriate for um, elected members to hold properties, to hold multiple properties? Of course, you know, own your family home um, or business or whatever it is. But in terms of owning multiple properties. As landlords, I think there's a real question. Is that appropriate for people who are making... Then are we putting a bar on somebody who... Look, are, are we putting a bar on someone who bought a couple of houses during the Celtic Tiger thinking it was a good investment? Are we putting a bar on them standing for election? Well, I think we have to question, is this the way we want to treat housing? And is this the way... You know, you said again, you know, we have to shift away... The, oh, no, the I agree with you. I, I, and I agree with that. But I'm just wondering, do, do we put a... No, I agree. But do we put a blanket ban on anyone who's got property from standing for the doll? I think you can put a blanket ban on anyone owning property from standing in the doll or being a minister. Of course you can't. But I do think there is a real issue around this conflict of interest of owning multiple properties. So maybe we need to look at... 
clear decisions on housing policy, for example, um, legislation in relation to evictions, legislation in relation to rent caps, those TDs, should they be allowed vote in that sense? Should they absent themselves? It's an interesting idea. But then, like, do I, like, if I'm a TD and I'm a parent, do I not vote on cutting child allowance or increasing child allowance? Well, I think there's, again, there's a difference in that and this material benefit, which SIPO uh, specifically states in relation to materially materially benefiting from legislative change, that property is an area which is cited where um, elected members have to declare their interest because it is a particular area where people do directly profit from. So I think that there is a particular area of housing and we do have to look at it. And I'm not sure of whether you know, an outright ban or how you would work that. But I do think we need to think about this and we need to look at it. And it raises the wider question, as you said, that we need to shift away from seeing property as this investment asset. And we have to lead from the top. Politicians should not be treating property as an investment. And that is where the real anger about Robert Troy is coming from. Okay, we'll leave it there. Dr. Rory Hearn, lecturer in social policy at University, author of the forthcoming book, Gaffs. Thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast. Let us know what you think. Do you agree with Rory? Uh, 53106 at a cost of 30 cent. Now, e-scooters may be good for the environment, but some obesity experts have raised concerns that they could lead to people walking or cycling less. And Margaret Steele, researcher in obesity in the School of Medicine at NUI Galway, joins us now. Um, Margaret, is that what we fear is going to happen, that people will hop on an e-scooter now rather than taking more active forms of transport? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's a possibility, sure, but I think what would be needed would be more research about which kinds of trips are being replaced by e-scooter trips. And that's, I mean, that's been acknowledged by the groups in the HSE too, that like, if people are choosing to use e-scooters instead of driving, then it could be an improvement in terms of their physical activity. But if they're choosing to do it rather than walking and cycling, then sure, it would be... Um, so it, so, so if, if the e-scooter is replacing perhaps a car journey, that's good. If it's re- replacing a bike journey, that would clearly be less good, possibly bad. Well, possibly, yeah. I mean, I think to some extent obesity is a bit of a red herring in this conversation, though, because, I mean, physical activity doesn't have a massive impact on weight if um, if it's not in the context of an overall healthy diet and, more importantly, a healthy environment that enables an overall healthy level of activity and, and healthy eating. So, I mean, yeah, there's a possibility that, you know, theoretically it could affect obesity. But I think really it's got to be the conversation has to be about enabling active transport for as many people as possible in as many areas as possible, regardless of their size. Because, you know, we know that physical activity is crucial to health and we know that being sedentary is harmful to health, pretty much whether it makes you fat or not. All right. Look, thank you very much for speaking to us on that this morning. That is Margaret Steele, their researcher in obesity at the School of Medicine at NUI Galway. Yeah, apologies. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on